All right, folks, welcome back to Finding Nicholas. Um, super excited to be here. It has been a while. <laughs> and so much has happened uh, just in between that time. So much has happened. And it's been maybe a year, a year and about three months since the last episode. And even those last couple were a bit sporadic, right? I was, I was really going through quite a bit. And um, I think it's funny because what I was trying to do was bring to you a podcast that's real and something that shares like, you know, these insights and these peaks uh, into my life. And while I was doing that, I probably kept the most intimate parts to myself. Understandably, you know, you don't want to just uh, put everything out there all the time. And especially when it's your first kind of foray uh, of this nature, of this medium. And um, you just, you're not really sure the impact you're going to have on people and who's listening and how they might respond to that and what kind of influence you might have on folks. And, uh, you know, to my point, I remember releasing an episode here with uh, Rebecca and she talked about quitting her job and, you know, trusting God. And that was, that was wonderful, great stuff. Love that interview, you know. And then someone reached out and actually said that they quit their job after listening to that. And so... <laughs> You know, I was like, well, I, I didn't tell you to quit your job, but uh, it, it happened and because someone was so moved by her experience and, and her sharing that. And so people are listening. That's my point. And so, um, but, you know, honestly, the other piece of that was my ego. You, sometimes when you share those pieces that are closest to yourself, like foundational, um, the, those blocks, those stones that you've, built your identity on and your professional life on and your family life on. Any, any strikes against that, you know, threatens to just dismantle the entire establishment. And for me, that's probably necessary. You know, it was important that those, uh, that the building come down so that I can uh, create a new one, not necessarily, you know, resurrect the old one, but it was time for me to, build something new. And I think I've done that. In fact, I know so. And so I'm back. I've had this spiritual breakthrough. And I kind of want to tell it through the lens of the hero's journey. So Joseph Campbell, this guy researched all of the stories of old into you know Greek mythology and beyond and discovered that there was this similarity that seemed to run through each story that whose theme was maybe personal transformation going from your everyday person into the hero and so it's called the hero's journey because it's this circular kind of path that you hopefully take many times throughout your life. 
and anybody who's focused on personal development and personal transformation and seeking health and mindfulness and awareness and peace, you realize that, that this is happening all the time for those who are seeking. And I've always been that. I've always been a seeker. And I've always, but the impetus for that, uh, when I was younger, a lot of times was I wasn't popular. The girls didn't like me. I, I thought, you know, the family situation led some stuff. There were some things to be desired there, you know, honestly. And so I just always wanted more. And maybe not so much more from people, but I wanted more for myself. And so I kind of retreated inward and just began focusing on maximizing who I was. But before I could even do that, I was trying to figure out who I was, like a lot of folks. And I think what we do sometimes is we go all the way around the mountain instead of going straight up. And that, that's that zigzag path we take to get to where we need to be. And so we try things that we shouldn't and go places that are forbidden or taboo. And with the hope that hopefully you come back around and it makes sense. But it's true that I think you can get lost on this path. Uh, and what I mean by lost is not that, you know, there's that saying, you know, all who wander are not lost. And then I think sometimes there's the opposite side where you're, you're wandering around and you have no idea where true north is. Now, sometimes it's good and bad. It requires a level of faith a lot of times to be in that space anyway. And so, but when I mean lost, it's having no clear direction or vision for your life. And so I remember famously Les Brown said, you can't hit a target you don't have. And so for me, the first step of this journey and the first step of the hero's journey is actually called the status quo. And I'm going to go over maybe the first two steps in this journey per episode. So maybe for the first five or six weeks. I just want to get this all out, like out into the world and share where I've been. Okay, so I've, I've lost friends along the way, but more importantly, I've gained a lot of friends along the way. I've found myself in this. And I think it's so important that if you're listening to this right now, just stick with it. I know it sounds like I'm not going anywhere, but trust me, I'm getting ready to get to it. And I think there, I, I know there's something in it that's worthwhile for you if you just hang with me. All right, so here we go. Status quo. I maybe, where should I start? Because I don't want to go back too far. But my status quo for my life, most of, for the most part, has always been I've wanted to please people. I've, I've wanted to, I've wanted people to like me. I remember feeling invisible as a kid. 
and being compared a lot to other people, being compared a lot to my sister, neighbors, neighbors' kids, students at the school, my ancestors. <laughs> so, uh, but I felt kind of inferior when I didn't measure up. You know, I would look at these situations where someone has all A's, but here I was with a C or some B's. And in our household, you know, we were, in, we were definitely encouraged to get A's. And, and C's were, were not good at all. And we're, not, we're unacceptable, okay, that point blank. And I wanted to play sports and I wanted people to like me. And when those things weren't really going right, I think maybe like a lot of people, I tried to figure out some sort of solution. And the solution was for me to study other people. That's what I did before I became a big reader because I used to hate reading. You know, now people know me as, as a big reader. I read all the time. But before I, I didn't really care for reading. So I relied on observation. I watched the popular kids. I watched, you know, those who made good grades. I, I focused on whoever I was instructed to role model, you know, and um, certainly you can pick up a lot of good things from that. There's so much you can get from just studying other people, leadership skills, uh, social, social, how to be sociable and, and personable and how to just mingle across um, a diverse clientele. I wanted to be athletic, so I've, I think I was a bit of a natural athlete, but I began to put more focus on that. I was a natural artist, so I put more focus on that. But my driver was to be liked. I, I did the things and I honed them to a high level with the strict, you know, mindset of, will this girl like me? Will my parents uh, finally, you know, approve of me? Will I be, will I be worthy? And I spent a lot of my life doing that. So, so picture a people pleaser, somebody who's just constantly going around trying not to, to rock the boat and ruffle the feathers, tells the jokes to keep things light, but always feels awkward, always feels anxious because knowing where you stand was the key to the game, right? If my goal was to be liked, I had to know if people liked me or not. I had to look for those cues, you know, the eye contact and the smiles and the laughs and the quality time. Uh, just or how people, you know, spoke of you to others. And when you're just hyper-focused on that, you can never really achieve any kind of balance. You're focused on what clothes am I going to wear? What perfume or cologne am I going to wear? Should I buy this type of car? Should I take these types of classes? Should I date this 
this girl and, and what is her sense of fashion like? Does she look good? Will other people approve of her? And so I never really was my own person. I just belonged to the world. And I carried that for literally up until recently. That's amazing because I'm 35. I'm 35 years old and I just learned maybe last year that none of that stuff matters. And maybe I knew it all along, but like defeating those demons was a, we're talking about a nearly like a three decade process. And so it's laughable to me sometimes where people are like, you know, 30 days to your new body, 60 days to the new you, 90 days <laughs> to financial freedom. And we imagine that these big sweeping changes and transformations happen overnight or what looks to be overnight and no one wants to to face the prospect that to feel better and to heal and to move forward could legitimately be a six month a six month process 12 months three years 10 years sometimes the price you're going to pay for leveling up is long and if you can't accept that which i couldn't for the longest time i wasn't ready to put in the time and the years it frightened me that the, the world i wanted and the life that i wanted could not be gained immediately or in the near term without becoming discouraged and, and losing focus if you can't accept that, this is not a journey for you. Not, not everybody. It's not going to take everybody 10 years, five years, three years. But I think it'll probably take longer than you expect. And I think and I know there are spinoffs. It's like when a TV series comes out and you're like, oh, The Walking Dead. Great. Loved it. And then there's like the walking dead this and the walking dead that and the walking dead this with different characters and a different storyline or and it's all part of the, the universe, right? Like like the Marvel movies, it's all part of the same thing. But there's so many different storylines in our hearts and minds that we have to address. And sometimes we think it's just one thing like, oh, I just got to eat. I got a problem with insecurity. I have issues managing money. I'm shallow. You think it's just that. And then when you start to dive deeper, you realize it's a million things. And it can get incredibly overwhelming to discover that and then fortify yourself to embrace that and attack it. it it's going to require more than physical output mental output it's going to take spiritual development and so what am i saying this for by the time i grew to be an adult you know i'd been to jail at like 20 years old uh for stealing you know felony larceny felony breaking and entering felony trespassing i had a misdemeanor before that I just so misguided in my mind. Um, I wanted 
to date girls and girls never liked me, you know? And I think honestly, the girls that did like me were, I didn't find them attractive. And so here I was just living in this headspace of, I deserve so much. The world owes me this and that. I think I'm so great. But in reality, that was not the case. I wasn't getting that same feedback from people in, in the world, right? Because my energy was just not harmonizing with what I actually wanted. And that's why I couldn't get it. And so... Um, I just, I went through high school with no girlfriend ever. Um, I think I had the opportunity maybe two or three times, but didn't go through with it. And then I went to college and I thought, oh, I'm going to be this whole different person. Going to be brand new. I was there on an academic scholarship, athletic scholarship. And I was like, okay. Well, I'm just going to kind of break out, become somebody new, transform myself. They don't know me. So I had this opportunity to be anybody who I want to be. Shocker, right? Newsflash. Just because you move somewhere else, start a new career, do whatever, does not mean you become somebody new. You take you wherever you go. If you haven't healed, if you haven't worked through some things, if you're injured, right? Like if I'm sitting, like I'm in my apartment right now, if I cut my leg right now and it starts bleeding and then I think walking down the hall to the elevator is going to change things, it won't. And if I go down to the bottom floor, it'll change things, it won't. And if I walk outside into the street, it'll change things, it won't. If I take that bleeding leg all the way across the country to California, it'll change things. It won't. Unless you patch it up, heal it, close the wound, that's when it stops. It stops when you put the work in. And again, I couldn't get it. I didn't understand that. I just... <sighs> I, uh, I thought getting new clothes would change that. Moving to a new city might change that. Getting new friends might change that. Getting a girlfriend would change that. And that seems so silly now. But for a lot of folks, that's reality. And before you can even fix it, you have to be able to see that. Let me say that. Let me say that again. In order to fix it, anything at all, you have to have an understanding of what the problem is. And so we try to heal these symptoms, you know, I've got a cough. I think it might be this. Well, you don't know it's that until you know. And if you don't know what the possible, you know, symptoms might mean, right? Like, okay, does this mean I have whooping cough? Does this mean I have bronchitis? If you don't know what the, the end points are, it's impossible to say, to establish where you are. It's like being in the wilderness and being lost and looking up in the sky and not knowing where the Big Dipper is or the North Star. If you don't have that, that reference point, it's, it's really, it's not pointless, 
it just makes it so much harder to get to where you're trying to go. And I was living in the world in this status quo where by the time, you know, I was, I was out here and meeting women and I had all this trauma, all this insecurity. And so I've, I, I've never been faithful in a relationship because my mindset wasn't fidelity. It was being liked, became a drug to me. You know, what was better than one girl, two? What was better than two, three? It's better than three, 10. And society kind of, at least for men, encourages this. You know, James Bond in his little black book with all these women in it, traveling to different countries, and there's another woman there. And I, I've lived that. And it's way more work and heartache than you ever could have imagined. But nobody tells you this, right? In the status quo, there's so much misinformation, so much miscommunication, so many veils that are expressed as truths without evidence. And the evidence they do provide is false evidence because it's coming from a place that's not real in the first place. So it's like telling a lie and then using another lie to back up your lie, right? So you're using the lie to, to turn this other falsehood into a truth. And we do this all the time. So here's my status quo. I was a high school teacher, dating around, traveled the world, was never faithful, depending on other people to tell him who he is, was reading books, telling everybody how he was going to take over the world, but didn't know the world he wanted to take over. Had friends, didn't know how to be a friend, was a son, didn't really know how to be a son, but was still nice to people, kind to people, but was also a criminal. And like, what do you make of this? It's, it's really just like one big mess, right? And so um, that was my status quo. I was blind, blind, high school teacher who fortunately it took him around the world and I'm so thankful for that, but I never wanted to be a teacher. I told my high school calculus teacher said I'd be a great teacher and for, and, and I think maybe I've, I've been that for a lot of people and, I, and I'm so blessed to have, have been that person and, and to have been in that role, you know, it's truly been an honor and a privilege to, to teach these kids. But the, um, the whole thing is I was living a life I didn't want. I didn't want to be a teacher. So the things I did on the side and in the background were like medicine, things I did to be okay to comfort me while I was in a place of dissatisfaction dating a lot of women and then bragging about it, um, trying to find ways to make a lot of money, telling everyone of my exploits, oh, I've done this and I've done that. And it was just all medicine to help me feel better about my personal failings. And this is what we try to do in the status quo. This is where I've been trying to hide behind things, 
trying to cover up the mistakes and the messes I've made and not just wearing it. You know, it's funny because you want to be recognized as a whole. You want people to see the entire person like there he is, Nick Landers. He's this and this and this and this and this. And then there's the stuff behind the closed doors, the things that, you know, you're ashamed of and that your disappointments and your regrets. And those are you, too. And but it's funny, we want to be recognized, you know, holistically, wholly and completely while hiding the ugly stuff. And then we want to call that being whole. You have a best friend, but you don't tell them everything. And then you ask yourself, what am I hiding? Why am I hiding this? So many things I was hiding. I have dreams. I had dreams as a kid uh, that just haunted me. Things I locked away in my mind, compartmentalized. I wet the bed till I was 13. Um, I was unpopular. I was bullied. My grades were so-so for like until like ninth grade or the like second semester of eighth grade. Um, God, there's so many things that were wrong in my life, in my family's life, and I just thought you didn't have to tell people that stuff. You just say it's not worth it. You don't have to. It's unimportant. People don't need to know that. And then when you go off the rails, people look at you like you're crazy. What's going on with this person? And why did they do this? And why did they do that? And I don't understand them. And then you look at them in a strange way because you thought they understood you. But duh, of course they didn't because you never showed them you. I know people right now who are married and don't want to be there. I know people who are married and knew before they got married that they didn't want to be there. How many stories do I have of friends who walk down the aisle with knots in their stomach and everything in them pulling on them, telling them to back out. But they went through it with it anyway to please other people and to not make waves and not to hurt somebody's feelings. And how often do we do something like that, just in any regard? Where in order to just fit better into society, we don these labels and we use the language and the vernacular of the people we want to mimic or the folks we idolize. And everything is just outward. Everything is outward. My status quo was I was a liar and you know, a manipulator. As Michael Todd says, I really, I really rock with Michael Todd of Transformation Church because a lot of the same things he talks about that are things that I was doing as well. You know, addicted to pornography, a liar, a cheater, somebody who was never faithful, 
someone who needed constant, you know, adoration and adulation to feel like he was somebody. And the irony is that I never felt like somebody. Like all of those compliments and the praise was so fleeting. It just, it came and then it went just as quickly. I would go back into this state of, I need more. I, I, need, a, I need another hit. You know, it was like drugs. Like I, I need another compliment. I need another woman in my bed tonight. I need another conquest. I need to see another country. And I just became exhausted. And so that was my status quo until 2019 where stage two of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey emerged, which is the call to adventure. I was working at this school, a challenging school, might I add, and just, um, you know, it's a Title I school, a high degree of poverty, um, a high degree of maybe broken homes and a lack of resources. And I was there to do, to transform lives. That's something I really enjoy doing, as, as you can probably tell. But fights every day. Um, kids who didn't want to learn. And that, that's not unique to like those kids. I mean, a lot of kids everywhere feel that way. But this was more of like willful, willful ignorance. Like, I don't want to learn. I don't want to grow. I don't want to improve. And all you could see was like the heartache and the trauma in these communities. And I'm, I'm, and I'm you know, in the, in the black community, it's just so different sometimes. And, you know, without getting deep into that, I could, underst I could understand the dysfunction and the storied history and the ramifications of disenfranchisement and slavery and the, the constant weight that goes into that, you know, having to represent for your entire race while also dealing with profiling and learning to code switch and how much to share and how much not to share and to publicly disclose or professionally disclose. It's, it's weighty, right? And we put a lot of this, we hamper our, our children with the same weight. And then also the weight of poverty, the weight of depression and discouragement. And when we don't recognize what that is, we just say, you know, that's those things just happen when you have a tough life and it's a hard knock life and it's a dog eat dog world and you get into the state of learned helplessness and again all, all that was weighing on me as I was doing this job but it was already a job I didn't want to do but I did want to help people I did but I didn't want to do it in this way and so I didn't want to be a public school teacher because you're confined to the curriculum and the subject you're teaching and things you can say and things you cannot say and I didn't want to be that type of teacher and communicator. 
And so, you know, you constantly feel like your hands are bound. And you might need to say something. It might need to say it in a certain way, but because it's a kid and because it's at school and yada, 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 you can't. And so... I had this call to adventure that one day just told me to quit. It said quit. I remember being in a classroom one day and I was so frustrated with this kid because sometimes as a teacher, you want to yell, you want to scream, you want to curse this kid out, you want to kick him in the stomach, you want to learn Kung Fu and learn how to beat him up and not leave like welts on him. You know, obviously you can't do that, right? And you never really would do it, but there are days where kids like push you, man. Like they, if you have kids or if you work with kids, they will push you to the edge sometimes. And so I was out here um, just lost coping, you know, not, not really doing any self-care at all just coping you know self-care would have been like eating healthy and exercising and meditating and reading books on just ways to grow and spending time with quality people but then there was like coping and just eating whatever sleeping long periods of time just having sex just to have it with just anybody just Coping and self-care are not the same thing. And so, uh, I just remember this urge to quit. And I was standing in the parking lot talking to Mr. Hill and um, he was like, you know, Doc, you gotta do what you gotta do, man. And at the time I had these, it was only just a talking point at that point, right? And what really led to that real conversation was the year before, the year prior, the call to adventure was like, oh, quit, do something else. But I didn't have another job lined up, didn't know how I'd get one. I tried to get into corporate for the longest time, you know, for a decade or more, could never seem to get in, didn't really know the right people, or wanted people to open the door, some doors, and they didn't. So I felt trapped in education. And so I was in the classroom one day and this kid just annoyed the piss out of me. (laughs) And I remember my chest getting tight because sometimes you'd send a kid to detention, ISS, OSS, you know, in school suspension or out of school suspension. And then they come right back to the classroom. They wouldn't go to alternative school. They wouldn't be expelled. You just have to deal with this kid who had the power to tear up and terrorize an entire classroom. And then this one kid, people would look at you and say, well, your classroom management is piss poor. And it's really just this one kid um, who can just light a fire and destroy everything else in the classroom. And if you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about here. So I remember my chest getting so tight and I couldn't breathe. And I was standing in front of uh, one of my students right there in the front. And I almost fainted. I did not even know fainting was possible. 
I would see it in movies and think to myself, that's fake. How do people, how do people faint? I thought you just kind of like closed your eyes and threw yourself to the ground and you were like, I'm out. Seriously. And so here I was about to faint. Like my knees kind of buckled, but I didn't fall. So it's kind of this sway and this, and she looked so concerned. She's like, Mr. Landers, are you, are you okay? And I, had, I, looked, I looked right in the eyes and I lied to her. And I said, I'm fine. And um, I could not wait to leave because I didn't know what was going on. My chest was tight. My breathing was super shallow. It was almost like I, had, I was gasping for air, like taking sips of air through like one of those coffee straws. And when the bell rang, I packed my bags immediately and I left like with the kids. You had to leave like a half an hour later, but I was like trying to leave with them. And then my principal was like right outside the door. <laughs> and so I turned around and sat back down. And I waited for about 30 more minutes before I went to like urgent care. I went to urgent care and couldn't find my insurance card. Took a few hours to find it, locate it, do all of that stuff. And what did I discover? I think I discovered that I didn't have insurance. That whatever I had gotten, did I have it? I think maybe I didn't. Or I had some piece of something. And I went through there. But by the time they took my blood pressure and everything else, they actually instructed me to go to the emergency room. So... At this point, I felt like I was dying, like not an understatement in any form or fashion. I thought I was dying. I got to like Emory Midtown Hospital, went to the emergency room, filled out all this information and sat down. At this point, the left side like of my body and like my arm and stuff like that was numb. And I thought I was having a stroke. Honest to God, I thought I was having a stroke. <sighs> I had maybe never felt more alone at that time. You know, newsflash, when you hear the rest of this, my story, you're gonna say, holy, holy crap. And um, so my left side of my body's numb and I'm having this headache and my chest is tight and I can't breathe and I think I'm going to die. I don't know how long I have to wait. And I call my dad, because I didn't want to worry my mom, so I call my dad and I kind of explain to him what's going on and he kind of seemed unbothered. He's like, ah, well just kind of let me know what happens. And for me, it felt like, man, you just minimized the hell out of what I'm going through. And I, I was kind of resentful. But then part of me had to like take a look at myself and say, self, what we often do is I often make things seem, seem okay when they're not. I don't know if you're like that or if you know someone like that where you could be going through like the worst day of your life. And then you just put on a brave face 
put the world on your back like Atlas and just carry it. And nobody is the wiser. And that was me. And so I couldn't really be upset that he didn't feel the same sense of terror that I was going through because it was pure terror for me. So I called my buddy Sam after that. And he's like, oh, man, dang, are you okay?" And this was more of the reaction I wanted. Um, But he was like working, you know, South Georgia and otherwise he would have come up there, he said. And so but I was like, you know, I'm good. I'm fine. It's probably nothing. And so they run all these tests, an EKG and an X-ray and a blood test. And the guy comes out and says, well, you're probably dehydrated. And to me, I thought you've got to be the stupidest person on the planet because I'm dying. So I need you to, uh, you know, get me a room and a bed. And he was like, I'm sorry, but we can't do that. I was like, you know, but I, I, need, I need you to admit me for today. And he's like, I can't. You know, we don't have enough to go on here. And so, you know, I got to discharge you. And I am upset. Like, I'm arguing with this guy to let me stay. But ultimately, I leave in the middle of, at this point, didn't even know it. There's like a tornado warning outside. Crazy wind, crazy rain. It's mirroring exactly what I'm going through mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way possible. And so I drive at like midnight to like CVS and I buy wine, chocolate, candy, and I go home and I put my feet up against the wall and I lie in bed uh, with um, drinking wine from the bottle and eating dark chocolate because they say it helps with stress. (laughs) And I fell asleep doing that. And after that, it was the call to adventure that said, you have to go. You're meant for more than this. You can do more than this. The kids you work with and the adults you work with domestically and internationally have all told you, Nicholas, that you're meant for more than this. You're meant to be a a speaker, a motivator, a teacher, an author. All these things I kind of knew to be true, but I just never had that, the faith to like step out on that. And there's a moment it was was so clear in all that pain and all that worry and all that doubt. I was perhaps seeing maybe the clearest eye I'd had up until that point and it's amazing how fleeting clarity can be when you supplant that with a worldly view and a worldly plan of attack because my immediate reaction to leaving this job was what does your savings look like do you have another job already what will people say Will girls date somebody who's unemployed? All of the the stuff that did not matter whatsoever in terms of the quality of my soul were in the forefront of my mind. And it's amazing how much BS is stuff that we call important, significant, priority, 
And so to wrap things up here for my first foray back, I know I'm kind of all over the place. I'm going to get back right, folks. But in this hero's journey, the status quo was I lived my life in fear. I wanted to sleep over at friend's house as a kid, and sometimes I did, but I also wet the bed for 13 years. My mom would pray with me at the, the end of the bed and say, God, you know, take away this affliction and things like that. And at one point I was like 12 or 11 with like kid diapers on going to school and I just constantly felt humiliated. Girls didn't like me. My grades were okay. The occasional C and I was being compared to all these other people and I just never felt secure in myself. No matter what anybody, no matter what good thing somebody said about me, no matter what accolade I accomplished, it always felt thin. It always felt like imposter syndrome. It's very lonely, like an isolating feeling. That was my norm. And then one day there's like this call to adventure. And I think this happens to people a lot of times. Like that call constantly comes to you beckoning you and us to achieve more to step out on faith and in purpose with intentionality and we can skip it let a few years or months go by and it calls out to you again and I think sometimes it's loud and over time it just becomes a whisper and a little quieter um, but that was my moment to say, okay, I'm leaving, I'm done. And I didn't, I didn't. You know, because stage three and what I'll talk about next is refusal of the call. I had some, I later discovered this thing was a panic attack. I had this major panic attack, which was something I'd actually experienced a lot in my life, um, just in mild forms, but that was like a huge one. And so had a major panic attack and I thought that was like, okay, here's your call to adventure. Here, here it is. You got to go. And ultimately right after that, I didn't. And so, um, I'm going to end the podcast here for today. I'm going to go cut and edit all this stuff, but folks, thank you for, if you listened for this long, trust me, stay with me as I'm going to just try to be more and more honest as I, as I move through this. Okay. And then we'll just get back to laughs and having fun and having guests on. Alrighty. So again, Finding Nicholas, season two, episode one, talking about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. This is about my journey this time, my personal journey that I think is going to bring you a lot of encouragement and a lot of hope and a lot of life and a lot of love. Rock with me. I'm back, baby. All right. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone for real this time. <laughs>